Well, what we've been anticipating as we've celebrated Advent for uh, this month as a church is the good news that God did make a way to be with us through Jesus, the Messiah that had been promised. And just as that spoken word video said, there, there is bad news. There, there's terrible news of, of, of the destruction of sin in our worlds, in our lives, in our relationship with God. And it makes the good news when you hear it shine that much brighter. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 1. Um, we'll be in uh, Matthew chapter 1 for a bit and then John chapter 1. And where we're going to pick up in Matthew 1 uh, is with Joseph. Joseph was engaged to uh, Mary and engagement in that culture, in that time, uh, meant a bit more than it does now to us. To break off an engagement was, uh, was almost like a, a divorce. Um, Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, and he knew how that worked. So he uh, wanted to quietly get out of the relationship. He didn't want to shame her, so he was going to find a way to exit the relationship. And we pick up in verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin has conceived, uh, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And there are a lot of observations that we can make in, in just these few verses, but I, I want to point out a few. Uh, they waited a really long time for Jesus to come. Jesus had been promised this this baby, this Messiah that would come, the son that would be born, had been promised a long, long time ago. And, and we see that in the genealogy that precedes this. But even in these words here, Joseph, the son of David. And it's important that, important that we know that Joseph's the son of David. He comes from the Davidic line. Uh, just recently, uh, we, just last week, we talked about the promise that was made um, to David that God would send the Messiah, that the Savior would come, that God would give David's line, that they would be a dynasty, this kingdom that would never end, and that from his line would come this forever king. So earlier in, the earlier in Matthew in the genealogy, it helps us understand how many generations it's been. It starts with Abraham and goes clear to Jesus. But just from David to Jesus has been 28 generations, right? 28 generations. That, that's a long time to wait. And my guess is maybe you're like me. Maybe you're patient uh, for 2020, uh, in 2020, but, but we're not patient like that, right? Just a couple weeks ago, I was uh, doing some Christmas shopping on my phone, and I could not believe that Amazon could not get me my gift by Christmas. So I had to go old school. I got in my car. I drove across Clark County to a physical store, and I bought the present that I was really hoping Amazon would just give me in two days. We don't know what it means to wait. Right? We, we only wait for something 
that we deem is worth it. So uh, pre-COVID, people used to flock to amusement parks. And if you're one of those people, you have no problem waiting in a line that maybe is an hour long to ride a ride that's like two minutes. Uh, maybe that's not your thing. Maybe you would wait in line for, for a show that you really want to see. Or, or some sports fanatics will wait in line for tickets to get, or, or perhaps even like a really uh, hot, popular restaurant. Like I even remember Salt and Straw just years ago. Like you had to wait in line uh, for, for a long, long time to taste some ice cream. God's people waited, and they waited, and they waited for God to send the Savior. 28 generations they waited. The angel also makes it clear that it's the Holy Spirit that has made this happen, that that what's been conceived in Mary has been brought about by the Holy Spirit. This is God intervening into human history. And we have to ask ourselves, why would God do that? Well, we needed him to. We couldn't make our way to God. We couldn't fix our problems. We couldn't fix what we had broken. Every belief system or, or religion, every other religion or belief system that I can think of is trying to find a way to make it to God by, by doing enough, by, by withholding themselves from, from worldly pleasures enough, by, by helping enough people or, or whatever it is, doing enough good works. They try to make their way to God, but the gospel tells us that there's no way for us to do that, that we have no chance of making our way to God. In fact, the Bible says no one even seeks God. Right? No one's righteous and seeks God. I heard one pastor that put it this way. He said people may seek uh, God the way they want him to be, but no one seeks God as he reveals himself in the Bible. Man, that's so true. That we want a God that will do this or that for us. We, we want we want things from God, right? We want God to, to make this, this thing in our life better or, or to help us with this or to give us that. We want a God that we can imagine and shape and really tell what to do. We do not on our own want the God of the Bible. We need him to reveal himself to us. And we never would have guessed that he would do it this way. We absolutely needed God to intervene. The angel also makes it really clear that Jesus came to save. This is so key to understand with the Christmas story. It's not just a cute nativity scene. Jesus came to save us from sin. Christmas was always going to lead to Good Friday, his death, and Easter, the resurrection. And there's obviously so much joy that we read and hear as we, as we consider, as we behold the miraculous birth that the word came in the flesh. But we have to ask ourselves why. He came because we needed him to save us from the sin that we are entangled in. All of us are dead in sin. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, their relationship, their fellowship with God was broken by this act of disobedience. It was rebellion against God. It denied his authority over their lives. But it's not just Adam and Eve who stand guilty before God. The Bible tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Romans 3. And then just a few chapters later, that the wages of sin is death. But we, and I include Christians in this, it's really easy for us to look at our sin 
and think it's really not that big of a deal. We chalk it up to the spiritual equivalent of a library fine, which doesn't even exist around here anymore. But it's not so much the offense as much as who we've offended. And I've shared this illustration before, but I recently heard it from a different angle that I like a lot better. Um, uh, just to be clear, I absolutely know that keying a car is wrong, okay? I have not done that, I will not do that. But for this illustration, let's say I'm at a junkyard and I'm looking to pull apart for my truck, trying to, trying to save a couple bucks. And obviously, it's a junkyard. I mean, it is junk everywhere, right? Just heaps of cars that are destroyed and only good for a part or two. And I see one in particular, that the windows are smashed, the, the, the body's dented all over the place, it's rusted, the paint, you can barely even tell it was ever painted. And I break out my keys, I walk over to it, and I key it, and it feels pretty good. And just then, uh, an employee of the junkyard sees me do that. He just shakes his head, just like, man, what an idiot, and he walks on. Well, let's say a couple days later, I go to my brother's house, and um, uh, we'll say my brother has, uh, he's got a couple cars, right? He's got his, his kind of daily driver um, that's really fast, super nice, um, but he also, in, uh, in his shop, He's got a car that, uh, it's not a car, it's a, it's a four-wheel drive, it's a truck, right? He loves to go four-wheeling in the woods, and, and he takes it in places that he probably shouldn't go. He's gotten into some jams, and mechanically, this car, this truck is sound, but the body's all dented up. It's got scratches in the paint. Like, it, it doesn't look that great, even though it performs well, and something comes over me, and I go up to it, and I key it, and my brother sees me. And he cannot believe what I've done to his baby. <laughs> he yells at me, just, just get out of here. Leave my property. So, so then I, I head to the store. I'm in a parking lot. Uh, I'm going to get some, some gifts for Christmas. And I park. And next to me is this, this Honda Odyssey. right? This, this beautiful Honda Odyssey minivan. And I don't know what comes over me, but I come over and I, and I key it. And the owner is right there. And they just start yelling at me, rightfully so. And I say, I'm so sorry. I don't know what is wrong with me. And, and they're like, yeah, I don't either. But sorry doesn't fix it. What are you going to do about my paint job? So we call, we get quotes. We find out how much it will be. I, I transfer her some money on Venmo and I get out of there. Well, then the next weekend, man, I'm on a roll. I'm downtown. I'm meeting my wife for dinner, and as I'm walking, I see a Bugatti, right? Maybe you haven't heard of a Bugatti. Uh, there's a Bugatti. So uh, the cheapest Bugatti on the market right now costs just over $1 million, okay? The next step up is like 3.4 mil, okay? This one, the most expensive one, with all the bells and whistles, is $18.7 million. There's one of them out there, by chance. It is on the same corner as I am when I go downtown. And I can't help myself, and I go up, and I key it. I keyed the junkyard car, I keyed my brother's truck, I keyed the Honda Odyssey, and now the Bugatti, the same offense, but the difference is who, or in this case, what I've offended. Sinning horizontally right, against other people there's always an impact, but, but we can't fool ourselves into thinking that our sins are only horizontal. No, sins are always vertical. Even when we sin against man, we're sinning against God, our creator, and our sin is cosmic treason. Jesus came to save us. The, the nativity 
isn't simply the story of a miraculous birth. It's a story of God's rescue mission, one that God had promised since the first people rebelled against him and a promise that God continued to make to his people throughout their history, throughout the generations. And God's people waited and waited and waited. He promised that the Savior would come and that he would rescue them from what they could never rescue themselves from, sin and death. Right? Jesus did not come just to shed insight, to enlighten us on who God is or to start a new, better religion. He came to live the sinless life, the perfect life that we were supposed to live but could not. And he came to die in our place, the death that everyone deserves to, to die because of our sin. Right? He came to offer forgiveness to sinners. Lastly, the angel tells us that this baby is, is the promised Emmanuel. Right? Emmanuel means God with us. And there, there's at least three things I think that we can take from Emmanuel. He is God. He is human. And he is with us. Let's turn to John 1. And, and maybe you don't think of uh, John 1 as a Christmas text, or maybe you do, but it is certainly about the Messiah coming into the world. John is one of the eyewitnesses of Christ's life, his death, his resurrection, the ascension, and he helps us understand who Jesus the Messiah is and what he has done, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Right? Jesus, the Word, Jesus, the, Jesus came in the flesh. He's the Word incarnate. He's God. He was with God in the beginning. He's, he's eternal with God. It's through him that everything that was created, uh, it was made by him. This is who Emmanuel, God with us, is. This isn't just some angel. It's not just a, a prophet or a great religious teacher. No, this is God himself with us. Verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. Right? Life is in Christ. Life comes from him. He is the reason that anything that has life has life. It's through him. He both gives life and sustains life. There's a verse that says, In him we live and move and have our being. And this life in Jesus it's so great that when he came into the world, John describes it, he wants us to picture it like this bright, shining light, like light shining in this dark, dark world. It's by this light that humanity can see. It's by this light that we can see at all in the darkness of our world. By his grace, Jesus shines light onto darkened, sinful people a world hopeless and lost. And my guess is that if you're like me, the darkness in our world right now almost seems palatable. Right? 2020, you can see how broken our world is. I think that's one really good thing actually about this year. 
is we, we should no longer be fooled into thinking that this world is everything, right? If this is everything, that really stinks. No, 2020 helps us, helps us long for what, what God created and what he will recreate someday. The Bible tells us that, that all of creation has been marred by sin, that, that sin has infiltrated, it's permeated every part of the world, and we cannot fix it. We're stuck in the mess we've made. We're in the dark. A couple of weeks ago, I was on the other side of my garage, and my youngest was in the garage too. I don't actually know what she was doing there. And then she walked over to the door that leads into the house, and I made eye contact with her, and she had a funny look in her eye, and then she smiled, and then she turned off the light and closed the door, right? Um, she's never done that to me before. Uh, we only have four kids, but it feels like we have 18 bikes in our garage. And again, I was on the other side of the garage. There's no light in the garage except for like our freezer has this little tiny orange light on the outside. And that's the whole thing illuminating my garage, which it wasn't. So I have to walk across my garage kind of kicking things as I step, hoping to not trip. But I knew the direction I needed to go. I knew that there was an exit that I could get out but it's not like that with, with our sin. Without God sending his son, there'd be no way out of the darkness. It's not like finding your way out of a dark, messy garage. It wouldn't be a matter of, of just feeling our way through this life and figuring it out. No, without the Messiah coming, there'd be no darkness. And he didn't, he didn't have to come at all. Right? He could have just left us in darkness, but he didn't do that. He didn't turn his back on his creation that over and over again had been unfaithful. Jesus came. He's the light that's come into the world. And this light is inviting people to leave the darkness, right? That we, we do not have to stay in darkness. We don't have to remain enslaved to sin. He's inviting us to come into his light and he will give you life if you receive him. And he's the only one that was qualified to come. He's the creator of all things. He was, is fully God. He added humanity to his deity so that he was fully man. We needed, we needed someone fully like us, but also fully God to take care of sin. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. You would think that the giver of life comes into the world, the true light comes into the world, that it would be so attractive that everyone would come to him. And yet, when we read the Gospels, it didn't happen that way. And when we look around right now, people aren't running to Jesus in that way that we would expect. They didn't come to him. He came to his own people the people who supposedly knew God, the people who worshipped God but didn't recognize him. They didn't realize that they needed him, so they rejected him. Some thought he was mad. Some, some said that he must be from the devil. Right? They thought they knew the truth. They thought they knew what they needed. They thought that they could navigate the world themselves, and we know what that's like. Right? We are so skilled at fooling ourselves into knowing what's best for us, just like Adam and Eve. Most people, when Jesus came, rejected him, but not all, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, 
Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So some people did receive Jesus as Lord. Some did believe. And what happened is that those who believed became children of God. Right? God brought them into his family. They went from being orphans spiritually into, uh, they were adopted and into God's family. They had a, a seat at the dinner table, so to speak. But it didn't happen because of what they had done. Right? They, they believed, right? they did do that, but, but everything else was the Lord. They received him as Lord, but God made everything happen. It was Christ who left heaven, suffered as a human, died on the cross, though he was totally innocent. It was his blood that was shed for rebellious people so that any who would turn from sin and turn to him would have life. This is God's work. It's not their work. It's not our work. They received it. Just like you will receive gifts on Christmas, or if you're a cheater on Christmas Eve. Just kidding. Oh, man, I struck a chord there. Um, salvation, the Bible tells us, is a gift from God. It's not because of something that, that we've done or something that we've earned. It is totally by God's grace. We cannot earn salvation. If we could earn salvation, Jesus would have no reason to come. If we could earn it, he would not have needed to die in our place. So the question, as we look at the gift of Jesus, the promised Messiah coming into the world, is have you received his gift of salvation? He, he's given all of who he is to you. Have you given yourself to him? And that is what he asks. Right? To receive him as Lord means that, that you are giving yourself to him. If you have, you are his. You will be his forever. Right? His presence will always be with you. He will never take his love or his favor from you. Verse 14, And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, this is John the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 14 tells us the word became flesh, and then it says it dwelt among us. And this word here is tabernacled. He tabernacled among us. So, so this word, it's meant to transport us back to Israel as they're going on their journey. And God tells them, make a tabernacle, this portable temple, this, this tent. And, and everywhere that they went, when they set up camp, they'd set up the tent right in the middle of camp. And God's presence would descend. He would be there with his people, right in the midst of, of sinful peoples, this holy God. And, and there were all kinds of offerings and sacrifices that had to be made just to make this work. But, but God, God was with them. He was with his people dwelling with them. He set up his tent. And John says, Jesus set up his tent with us. He would be the once and for all sacrifice. No other sacrifice would be needed or even make sense because Jesus became, he was the spotless lamb substituted for us. Jesus tabernacled among us. He wants to dwell with us, and he's made a way for that to be possible forever. 
Here's a simple observation. You probably made it before yourself. But Jesus coming lets you know that he loves you. You might feel like God is far away from you at times. Maybe you feel or have felt like God doesn't even really care about you. But I think the evidence tells us the exact opposite. We look at what Jesus has done. He came and he suffered for you. And, and certainly I mean the cross by that, but I don't just mean the cross. right? The, just by becoming human, he suffered every day, experiencing the aches and pains of life. He was suffering for you. He loves you. I heard a story. I do not know if it's true. I love the point that it illustrates. So you can go research this. I, I couldn't find out if this is true or not, but I love what it illustrates about Jesus coming to rescue us. So the story is about a Navy SEAL team. They went into some dark part of the world to rescue uh, a group of American hostages. And these, uh, these hostages had been prisoners for months. And they just lived in this dark, dirty, little, uh, little room, all huddled together. Well, the SEALs came in by helicopter. They, they, they land, they enter the compound. Obviously, shots are fired um, so that they could secure the compound. The hostages have no clue what's going on. They think that, that something's going on with the terrorists and, and they're about to die. The SEAL team enters the room where, where the hostages were, and, and they were just huddled up in this corner on the ground, like, like in, tucked up in, in, in a ball on the ground together. And they called to the hostages. They told them, hey, we're Americans. We're here to save you. And nothing happened. No one moved. The hostages didn't believe them. They were convinced that these were terrorists. So, so they didn't move a muscle. They wouldn't even look up at them. And the SEALs were just dumbfounded. Right? They'd been trained in, in, in all kind of tactical things, but, but they didn't know what to do here, how to get these people to believe them. And then finally, one of the SEALs had an idea. He, he took off his helmet, he put it down. He took his gun, lowered it, and he slowly approached the group of hostages. And then he got down on the ground and, and took the same position that they were in. And he got as close to them as possible curled up in a ball. He was so close they could hear him breathing. Right? Some of them could feel the warmth from his body. And slowly, with the few people he was closest to, he put his arms around them. He was trying to show them, I'm like you. I'm here with you. I've come to save you. After some time, eventually one of them looked at him and made eye contact with him. And then another and another. And he whispered to them, he said, we're Americans, we're sent to rescue you. Will you follow me? And he stood up. And one by one, the hostages stood up and followed him. And obviously, this rescue story is different than Jesus. But Jesus did come. He came and he became one of us. He added humanity to his deity. And we may perceive at times that God is far off, that God doesn't care, but the reality is that Jesus has done everything necessary to be as close as possible because he does love you. He loves you more than you will ever know. He loves you so much that he became like us so that he could rescue us by dying for us. And he offers forgiveness to anyone who would receive him. 
right? Even knowing that we will continue as Christ follows, we'll continue to fail him, we'll continue to battle sin, and yet he gives us forgiveness anyway. He wants us to be his own. Verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Right? This, this passage it helps us see that, that in Jesus, we see God's glory. Jesus, his glory uh, as, as the only son from the Father. You might recall that Moses also asked to see God's glory. Moses was close to God. Moses spoke with God. He met with God. He asked God one time to show him his glory, and God said, it would kill you. I cannot do that. He, he showed him just the tail end of his glory. So it would have blown Moses' mind, I think, to read John 1. I don't know if you remember a couple years ago, the solar eclipse it was way cooler than I thought it was going to be. But you might remember you had to buy those, uh, those glasses. You had to put those glasses on because if you looked at the eclipse, you could, without those, it could burn your retina. Man, it's in Jesus that we, we see God. It's in Jesus that we can see God's glory. Hebrews tells us that Jesus, he's the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. Tim Keller, in his book, uh, Hidden Christmas, he, he writes about uh, the, the Russians that went to space in 1961. A Russian named uh, Yuri uh, Gagarin um, went to space. Uh, Nikita Khrushchev was the Russian premier at the time, and he said that when Yuri went into space, the cosmonaut discovered that there was no God. Well, C.S. Lewis responded to that in an article, The Seen Eye. Lewis said that if there is a God who created us, we would not discover him by going into the air. God would not relate to a human being the way a man on the second floor relates to a man on the first floor. He would relate to us the way Shakespeare relates to Hamlet. Shakespeare's the creator of Hamlet's world and Hamlet himself. Hamlet can only know about Shakespeare if the author reveals him, uh, himself in the play. And so too, the only way to know about God is if God reveals himself. The claim of Christmas is infinitely more wonderful than that. God did not just write information to us about himself. He wrote himself into the drama of history. He came into the world as the Messiah to save us. Won't you trust someone who did all that for you. You might remember that after the birth of Jesus, an angel came to the shepherds who were nearby and he said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And the angel was, was saying, behold, look at Christmas. That's what he said to these shepherds. We need to do the same thing today. Behold, look at Christmas. Look at what he has done. Jesus, the promised Messiah, has come, and that is good news. So will you behold the Messiah that has come? Will you worship Jesus? Will you follow him? Will you give yourself to him? Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we, we love you, Lord, and we marvel that you did come, that you took on flesh, that you lived the life that, that we were supposed to live, but were totally incapable of. Lord, we, we praise you that, that you went to the cross, 
that you died in our place and that you offer us forgiveness, Lord. And I pray for my friends here today, my friends online, Lord. I know uh, there are many in the room and online that, that know you and have followed you for years, and yet we've let this story become old to us. Jesus, would we behold you this Christmas? Lord, I pray for my friends that, that maybe don't know you yet, Lord. I pray that they would consider, Lord, like, like Mary, that they would consider you, Jesus. They would consider their life and their problem with sin, that they would believe, Lord, that you really do offer forgiveness to everyone. Jesus, we, we want to worship you, Lord. And as we sing these songs, as we, as we approach these last five days till Christmas, God, I pray that we would worship you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.